0: That we might apply it to our lives. Would you do that work in us this morning? Would you guide the words I have to share and use them for your purposes, not even my own? In Jesus' name, Amen. You know, uh, so often there's what comes with preaching is distractions. You know, last week, you know, the vertigo thing. If you were here last week, I was working through that. Um, and, and God came through. That, that was fine. It worked out. Uh, this week, I, I think it was a Wednesday. I'd done most of my studying for the sermon today, but I was, I was reading some commentaries and I'm sitting on my sofa in my office and I feel a little tickling on my, on my arm, you know? And I'm like, what's that, you know? And so I just kept reading, you know, and I'm like, oh, that's weird, you know? So I'm reading. And then I felt it again. I'm like, what is that? And there's a mouse on my arm, like, crawling across my arm. Now! Now! Do you think that A, I then jumped up on a chair to hide, B, I knocked him onto the ground and stomped on him, or C, I went looking for him in my office to no avail? All right? So, who says A, I was on the chair? Anybody? Stop it. Stop it. All the smart alecks just raised their hand. That's who you are. You know who you are now. Anybody for B, I stomped on him? Anybody think I got a good... Yeah, I, I, would have been, I would have liked to, but I, unfortunately it was C. He's still at large in the pastor's office. So we'll see. We'll see. So next time you come in for a little counsel, a little prayer, we'll go into the library. That's what we'll do. We'll go into the library. Okay. All right. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah. I heard the youth group saw him on Wednesday, too. I heard he was out and about. So, okay. Um Sometimes I watch uh, videos on social media, and and sometimes if you've ever watched a video on there, sometimes you have to wait for like, it's kind of like waiting for the punchline. Like you're watching this video, and it's like somebody walking down the road. It looks really boring, and you're like, I'm not going to watch this guy walking down the road. That's way too boring. But then someone put this little phrase at the top of the video. You know know what the phrase is, right? It's uh, three words. Wait for it. Wait for it. You know, and so you're watching the video, and I saw that little tagline, wait for it, and that tells me i got to be patient. Here's the thing, and here's just an honest confession. I almost never wait for it. I I almost just say, I don't have time for that, and I just keep scrolling down. I'm so impatient. One time I did wait for it. One time I was watching this video, and I was waiting for it, and I was waiting and waiting and waiting, and two minutes later I'm still waiting. And three minutes later, I'm still waiting. And finally, I realized it was one of those videos that loop over and over. And there was no end. It just, like, repeated itself. And so you're waiting, waiting, waiting. Smart Alex, you guys do that. No more waiting. And so, uh, when it comes to Pentecost, Jesus said, you need to wait in Jerusalem to be clothed with power from on high. I wouldn't have made it. Would you have made it? Would you have waited? Wait, wait, wait. And they prayed. They prayed while they waited. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed. Acts one fourteen says they were constantly praying, constantly praying. And then Pentecost came. Check it out in Acts chapter two verse one. You saw a, a kind of a fun visual representation of that. Uh, here's the story. I'm going to read one through uh, at least one through four here. Two one through four. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And then you know, they uh, from there they went outside. They went outside this place where they were at, and they were, and these Galileans are talking in other languages. And some people were like, "I'm hearing, I'm hearing you talk in my language, but you're from Galilee. How does that work?" And somehow they still had the, they still had the Galilean accent, which is kind of guttural. It, it just sounds different. It's different. But, but they could hear their language, their words. And there's God-fearing Jews hearing this. And then there were some that maybe weren't God-fearing Jews, and they were like, "No, they're just drunk." And then Peter has to address the crowd that's been gathered, because this is quite a commotion. And he preaches Christ, and 3,000 of them believe on that day of Pentecost. How do we understand Pentecost? It's something that has divided the church even today. And and maybe the divisions aren't harsh, but, but they are. How we understand, it's a real division is what I mean. How we understand this event is a real thing. What I want to do to start is, and it's going to challenge all of Jim's slide skills in the back, is try to talk through how do we understand Pentecost? What are some some lenses we can put on to understand what happened on that day? So I'm going to give you some lenses. Some of these might be like really familiar and be like, yeah, I, I know that. I've thought about that. Maybe some of them are new and you're like, I never really considered that way of looking at this event So I want you to pay attention, we're going to dive in, and then after we've dived in and looked at like how do we understand it, we'll kind of pull back and we'll take a deep breath and we'll say, okay, how do we see these kind of things happening today? How do you see the activity of the Holy Spirit today? That's what we're doing today, okay? So uh, here's some lenses that I'd like you to put on. I should probably pull my notes up so I know what I'm doing, which one comes first here. Okay, let's talk about the meaning of Pentecost. How are we to understand this historic event that marks the birthday of the church? Let's talk about the lens of the Feast of Weeks. That's number one. And if you're taking notes on your bulletin on the back, there should be a place to take notes and there's some blanks. There's the lens of the Feast of Weeks. Now, Pentecost is on the Feast of Weeks. I mean, that, that's, that's when it happens. And we can show you in Deuteronomy 16. You don't have to go there. We'll show you up here. Uh, It says, Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a free will offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. Next verse. Uh, And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow who are among you, at the place the Lord your God shall choose to make His name dwell there. I read that and I go, okay, I see... Sons and daughters. And at Pentecost, what do I see? Sons and daughters who will prophesy. And and I see fathers. I see see old men that are are having dreams and young men having visions. It's describing all these different kinds of people, and, and they're all a part of it. Old, young, whatever class you are, you're in. And then I read this in Deuteronomy, and I see, oh yeah, the servants are in. The children are in. The sojourner, like you're just traveling through Israel. You're in. Everybody's in. You're all part of this. Now, I think there is a correspondence between Pentecost and Feast of Weeks, as I'm saying here. The other thing the Feast of Weeks commemorates to a Jewish person is the giving of the law. Okay, So, the Feast of Weeks, that holiday is an anniversary of, of God giving the law, the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments and the other laws, to Moses at Mount Sinai. That's the anniversary. Now think about what that means for a second. I would suggest it means that we're no longer bound to the law. We are now bound to the Spirit. Do you see? Do you see? We're no longer bound to the law. We're bound to the Spirit, and to Christ. Paul will make a really strong argument in Romans that we've died to the law, so now I can take the law and put it over here, and I'm putting Christ at the center of my life. I've met, I've heard a lot of atheists mock God's law. You know, they they pick out pieces of it and they say, that's ridiculous, you'd never do that today. I've heard Christians mock God's law. As ridiculous and things we would never do today. And it drives me crazy because even though I'm not bound to the law anymore, I still respect it. It's still a piece of holy scripture that's in the Bible for our good, even if I'm not bound to it. So I'm bound to Christ. Will Christ and the Holy Spirit lead me to break the moral demands of the law? No. May it never be. Yeah, I know the law contains commands for Israel, and and those things have uh, there been the shadow, and Christ is the substance, and those things have kind of passed away. We'll get to that in Acts 15, by the way. We'll we'll dive into that a little more. But but just to say for now, I'm not, I am completely, and you are completely bound to the Holy Spirit and to Christ. That's the center of my spiritual life. Not legalism and not not trying to please God through practicing the law. Jesus has pleased God. And I am connected to Him. And I cannot be disconnected. So, I think that's one way we understand Pentecost. That that now, the Spirit's been given and we are irrevocably connected to Him. Praise God. Second lens we should think about when we think about what is Pentecost? What does it mean? Uh, I would have you consider... The lens of Jesus' baptism by John. The lens of Jesus' baptism by John. If you go back to the start of Jesus' ministry, the first thing he does is he approaches John the Baptist to get baptized. John doesn't want to do it. Like, like you're the Holy One. I shouldn't be doing this. I don't even, I don't even deserve to like un, unloose your sandals. I don't even deserve to touch your dirty feet. But this is what happens. This is Luke. I, I tried to stay within Luke here since Luke wrote Acts. Here's Luke three twenty one twenty two. 22 Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on Him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You're my beloved Son, with you I'm well pleased. I'm just seeing this this morning as I'm reading this. I didn't notice this when I was studying. But Jesus was praying when the heavens opened. He was praying. And the disciples were praying. Just another interesting connection. But, but here's my point. Uh, before Jesus began His earthly ministry, and I think all of us would agree, Jesus had an amazing, powerful, resurrecting from the dead. He, was doing, you know, he had a powerful, miraculous earthly ministry. It was amazing. But He didn't start doing those things until He was baptized. And the Holy Spirit descends on Him and visibly, visibly descends on Him like a dove. And at Pentecost you have the Holy Spirit visibly descending on people as a fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Fire would denote holiness. It burns away impurity. Fire can denote judgment. Our God is a consuming fire. And the Spirit descends on the people. Again, visibly they can see it. And so I think the point here is that Pentecost inaugurates the Spirit-empowered ministry of the church. The church has a powerful ministry that, again, we'll get into this more in weeks to come. I'm just setting the stage right now and saying this is the beginning of like Peter going out and John going out and healing people and people coming to Christ 3,000 on that day. And you've seen things that you can't explain by any other way but to say the Spirit did this. And Pentecost is like, this is ground zero for Spirit-empowered ministry. And isn't it then... A tragedy that some churches don't talk much about the Holy Spirit, and it makes you wonder and I'm not the judge, I can't say, but it makes you wonder, are churches are churches running long after the Holy Spirit has left the building? you know? And now I know the Holy Spirit lives in us, so I've got to be careful how I say that. but, but I guess what I mean is spiritual power, power, power. Because Pentecost inaugurates that. If there's no power, the worship team shouldn't lead, and I shouldn't talk, and you shouldn't share your faith, and you shouldn't do good to anybody, because that's not going to amount to anything. It's just loaves and fish with 5,000 standing in front of you. It won't amount to anything unless the Spirit takes it and empowers it. We can do nothing. And Jesus said that. You can do nothing apart from being connected to the vine. Okay, I want to move on. These are just lenses. I don't want to spend my whole time here. But, but here's number three to understand what happened that day. Uh, the lens of prophetic fulfillment, the prophetic fulfillment of Joel. So if you have Acts in front of you, Peter quotes from Joel. And he says in the last days, this is uh, verse 17, uh, Acts 2.17, the last days God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. On my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my Spirit on those days, and they will prophesy. Now, we just talked about the powerful ministry of the Holy Spirit. We're going to be seeing that in the book of Acts. I'm just setting this up now. But the other thing, and you saw it in the video we showed too, you saw the fireballs in the sky. So Peter goes there. Joel goes there. And Peter quotes Joel. He says, I will show wonders in the heavens above. And signs on the earth below, blood and fire billows smoke. The sun will turn to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I know there are some that suggest maybe that the, the signs in the sky were fulfilled when Jesus died on the cross. You know, right? The earth shook. There's darkness. The veil t- tears into. two. Um, I happen to think with probably the majority that this is future. This is Revelation territory. This is the end of the world territory. It's before the great and glorious day of the Lord that's still to come. With that understanding of Joel, and and Peter quotes it at Pentecost, and so far I haven't seen those signs in the heavens, I think we can say this, that Pentecost marks the beginning of of the end times, that, that we're in the end times. Now, I know most of you don't need to know that. You're like, I get it, I get it. But I think it's very important to say this. The Pentecost marked the beginning of the end, that we're in the end times. And Jesus could come back any single day. We look for Him. We long for Him. And believers throughout history, a thousand years ago, if you were longing for Jesus, you were absolutely right on, because you're in the end times even right now. Pentecost started it. Okay? One more. One more. Uh, let's talk about the lens of the Great Commission. The lens of the Great Commission. Now, most of us know the Great Commission in Matthew, uh, you know, the go-into-all-the-world passage. Luke has his own version of the Great Commission in Luke 24, and I think you're going to see a correlation between that and Pentecost if you check out Luke 24 here. Jesus says, You are witnesses of these things. Kind of sounds like Acts 1, right? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Your witnesses. There's the word. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. That's the Holy Spirit. That's Pentecost. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, lifted up his hands as he blessed them. That's, that's Luke's version. Oh, we got two more. I got three more verses. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. Luke's version of the ascension of Christ. And you see the similarity here because Jesus says, You're my witnesses. You're my witnesses. But I want you to wait until you're clothed with power from on high. So this is a point, I think, that Pentecost, uh, the church is born through the Spirit-empowered proclamation of the Gospel. The church is born as Peter proclaims the Gospel to the people in Jerusalem that leads to 3,000 conversions. How's the church born? When the Gospel goes out. We've got to share the Gospel. I hope that you know that my agreement with you as a church is that almost every Sunday, I'm going to be sharing the Gospel from the front. And that can be a tune-out moment for some, I hope it's not. But what I hope that the agreement is that you can bring people in. You can invite people to come with you and be confident they're going to hear the gospel in church. I I talked to enough people that moved into this area and have come from different churches that I know that's not always the case. I know some churches don't proclaim the gospel. And maybe you were part of one of those churches. But at this church... The only way we're going to have new believers is if the gospel goes out. It's got to go out from here. It's got to go out from there. It's got to go out when you leave and go into the community. It's got to go out. That's the only way we're going to see more people being born again. The church multiplying. It's a miracle that God takes your words as you share the gospel and lets them sink into people's lives. We'll come back to that in a minute, too. So here's a few lenses as you think about... uh, Pentecost and 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 what that means for the church. This will set us up for what happens later in Acts. We're laying a foundation here. <clears throat> what I want to do now though is I want to talk about <clears throat> I want to talk about what this means for us, how we see movements of the spirit today. Last week I said that Jesus Acts 1 says Jesus proved himself to the disciples, right? with many proofs, many convincing proofs. The fact is, the reality is, God proves Himself today. That's why you're here. That God proved Himself to you. You didn't, you didn't get to see Jesus. He didn't say, touch my hands here. But, but He did something to say, I'm real, and you say, I get it. You proved yourself to me. And you believed. What are some indications <clears throat> of the Holy Spirit's presence in our life that we can look at Pentecost and say, I see that in my life. Let me give you a few. A. Let's talk about sounds. Some sounds. At Pentecost, there was the sound of a rushing wind, right? A rushing wind, which is very appropriate because the Hebrew word for spirit is the word for wind. The wind was coming. I've never heard the wind like that, as far as a spirit whooshing into a room. I'd love to. I've heard the wind in general. But you do hear things that you know are signs of the Holy Spirit's presence. Uh, What does Paul say in the New Testament, right? No one can say Jesus is Lord except the Spirit enables him. That's the sound of the Holy Spirit. When someone says Jesus is Lord, that's the Holy Spirit right there. Or how about when you sing, when you worship together? And I know not, not everybody here is a singer, I get that. But when you choose to sing and praise God, here's a couple of verses on that. Can we get the first one up, Jim? Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. You sing, I'll be there, God says. You sing, you celebrate me, I'll be there. God is here in the midst of His praises. One more on singing. Um, uh, Chronicles. It was the duty of the... This is Second Chronicles 5.13. For those listening online, they should probably know that. It was the duty of the trumpeters and the singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised, the trumpet, cymbals, other musical instruments, in the praise of the Lord, for He is good, for a steadfast love endures forever, the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud. And you know what the cloud is. That's the presence of God. It was filled with a cloud. You sing, I'll fill the house. You see, when we sing, it is a sign of the Holy Spirit amongst us. I'm not saying He comes into a vacant building, because He actually lives in us. We're the temple. This is not the temple. We're the temple. But it's certainly a sign, when you hear praising God, the Holy Spirit is present in an audible way. Uh, how about the sights of Pentecost? The fire. Again, I've never seen fire come down from God. But I have seen the Holy Spirit working. Just, and just like other famous preachers have said, you can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. When I see two people that were bitterly at odds embrace... I know that's the Holy Spirit, isn't it? You've seen that. And you've known you're on holy ground. That's the Holy Spirit at work. When I see somebody get into a a nasty car accident and they look at the car and it's mangled and they they walk away fine, I know the Holy Spirit's provided protection. You see, you have seen it. You have experienced it. I'm just kind of helping you call it out. That was the Spirit. He was working. I didn't see the tongues, but, 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 I, but I, saw, I saw two people embrace. I saw a family welcome in a stranger that they met in church, welcome them into their home for lunch. And I saw the Holy Spirit in that. I mean, do you know that's, that's it? That's it. We see the sights today. How about C? there's speech going on for, for for those disciples it was tongues and, and i have certainly read stories about people speaking in human languages and they were able to share the gospel in other tongues i mean i've heard those stories maybe you've heard them too there's there's speech going out i would add to that and say it, it, it's when you're talking to a coworker and, and and you're freaking out because you realize they're going to ask you that unanswerable question but you say something anyway you open your mouth, you're sitting in the salon, and, and, and you talk about what Jesus is doing in your life. That's the Holy Spirit showing up and using your words. He wants to talk through you. You just got to open your mouth and, and do it. And, and get over whatever butterflies there are there and say it. He wants to talk. He wants to give you tongues to speak the gospel to people in this culture. You just got to open your mouth and say those things to those people that need to hear it. Sometimes it's just a word of encouragement. You know, you just you're just talking to somebody, a buddy, somebody over breakfast, someone at work, and you just say something encouraging to them, and you don't think anything of it because it was just a simple word. Hey, great job. You're doing a great work here. I love what you did over here. And then you walk away. You don't think about it again that day, but they thought about it the rest of the day. The Holy Spirit You shared the gospel with somebody and they said, No, and you shared your testimony and they said, That's not really for me. And you go home and say, Ah, that didn't work really well. Where was the Spirit? But they're up all night thinking about it. How do you know? How do you know? The speech goes out and the Holy Spirit can use it. It's when somebody confesses to a sin in their small group and says, I'm done with that now. Oh, that kind of speech. Is spirit directed. Uh, I could also say it's when the Holy Spirit, well, I didn't realize that's such a long list here. It's when the Holy Spirit whispers into your soul. You know, some of you have had certain verses or phrases brought to you at just the right time. I've experienced that. I, I've, I've been in a conflict or, or thoughts about something that are, I'm struggling with, and the Holy Spirit has given me a phrase or a word or a sentence. At the right time. And I know it was from Him. Never heard it audibly. But I've heard it in my soul. How about the next S word here is sermons. Oh, I love this one. Peter preaches an amazing sermon. I mean, how many times have you been, you know, listening to a sermon online or here, and I've heard it so many times, people come up to me and say, did you know what I was dealing with this week? No, I really didn't. I almost never... Write a sermon thinking about somebody particularly, you know, like, I'm really going to give it to them. Now, sometimes, yes, you know, when it comes to my boys. Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Just kidding, Braden. all right? <laughs> but it rarely does that happen. I think I've told you maybe once before, um, I was in Watomo one time and I was preaching to graduates and I was at the end of the sermon and I felt like I was supposed to say something into the, the sermon to this one mother of one of the graduates and I was like, oh, that's so awkward. Can I really say that? I feel like it just hits her right on the nose, you know. Am I going to do that? And in the moment, like you're preaching, I'm like, I've got to say it. And so I said it. And after I said it, oh, I, actually, she was sitting over here, and so I said it over here, just to be safe, you know. Like, you need to. And she's over here. Um, and then afterwards, I felt so awkward that I remember going downstairs into the youth room right after the sermon. I was like, what just happened? Like, I just said that. And she must know I was talking about her. But I said it. And so often, you've experienced the Holy Spirit in a sermon. And I can say, I could have had a lousy week studying. I could even feel lousy about how it came out up here. And yet I still have someone come up to me and say, I needed to hear just that. Really? That lousy delivery? Yeah, I needed to hear that. Okay. Okay. That's the Holy Spirit. Uh, Sermons about the sword? You know we had to go here. Uh, the sword of the Spirit. Peter explains Pentecost using the Bible, using the Old Testament. You want to know what's going on here? It's Joel. You want to know what's going on with Jesus? Let me quote the Psalms for you. Acts 2 is full of Old Testament quotes. We understand, uh, this is how Peter explained to Jesus at the crowds of Pentecost. This is the sword. So you, you want to hear the Holy Spirit talk to you? If you tell me, I've never heard that still voice in my soul. Well, I hope you hear it someday. But every time you open your Bible, you can hear it. You can hear it. And it doesn't take any sort of mystical experience to open your Bible and start reading and know the Spirit's going to talk to you through that written word. He will talk to you. It's the sword of the Spirit. Uh, it's really great, you know. I, I, I'm in uh, I'm at districts last weekend, and one of the questions that comes up over and over is, um, how do I talk to people who don't believe the Bible? So, so my topic was homosexuality last weekend. How do I talk to somebody if they don't even agree that the Bible is the Word of God? And my answer is, use the Bible. No, no, they, they don't believe the Bible is the Word of God. Is the Bible living and active? Yeah. Is it sharper than a sword? Yeah. Then use it. Use it. And let God confirm it. Let the Holy Spirit confirm it. It's his sword. Let him start cutting. He'll do it. Now, There's good uh, non-biblical arguments to go along with that topic also, right? I mean, there are good non-biblical arguments as well. All truth is God's truth. But but the Bible's a sword. Use it. Trust it. Okay. Um, And lastly, salvations. When you see somebody accept Christ, you know the Holy Spirit was there. He's got his fingerprints all over that. Whenever someone says Jesus is Lord, remember they only say it because the Holy Spirit enabled them to say it. People don't get saved unless the Holy Spirit's been acting. It's not because you're just a really great decision maker and because you're a good decision maker, you became a Christian. Since you're such a wise person, of course you became a Christian. No, no, the Holy Spirit did something to you to get you to that place where you would respond. In your own free will, but the Holy Spirit did it in you. Because no one can say Jesus is Lord, except the Spirit enables. Um, I'd love each of you to lead someone to Christ this year. I mean, could you imagine what that would do? We'd be double in size, just so you know. We'd have to go to two services, and it would cause me headaches and problems. And it would be awesome! Just think if you led someone to Christ this year. If you prayed towards that. Someone should have amen me. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let me um, bring it towards the conclusion. Um, when I, you, you've heard me share this story before, so I want to not repeat all the boring details Actually, they're exciting details. But I, I, my desire to go into ministry was born out of a Holy Spirit experience at my school. Christian school, spiritual emphasis week, the pastors leading us, and a revival breaks out, great things happen. Now, I want to tell you what happened after that. Yes, I went into ministry, I applied at Moody, they accepted me, and they set my course. But I want to tell you what happened to the school after that. I mean, individuals' lives were changed. Let me tell you what happened at the school, though. Next year was my senior year. We had another spiritual emphasis week. But there was no revival associated with it. No no, no, no mass revival associated with it. That troubled people. They, I don't know if the school said this was supposed to happen. I don't know if the school did this, but I know this is what happened. This is just the events. They brought in pastors, speakers, and it was almost like they were trying to coerce us into revival. You ever experienced that? Like, like there was this moment where the guy at the front said, all you students sitting in the stands, if you've sinned in the last week, I want you to come down here and repent. You know, and and, and you're sitting there like, yep, I sinned last week. You know, didn't come home by curfew or something. I guess I need to go down there and repent. Repent. And so all these students are coming down repenting and, and the pastor's, you know, praising God, you know, and waving, you know, and, and he said, see, I'm seeing him sitting on the floor praising God like this amazing moment. And I thought, well, you told me I had to get up if I sinned. And since I'm not a hypocrite, I got up because I'd sinned. But it didn't feel like a move, this amazing movement. It felt like, like I should repent every day. I should confess every day. That's what we should do as Christians. Not only me... But I've talked to many people from that school, I love that school by the way, but in subsequent years, that said, yeah, it felt like every year they wanted to reproduce that year, the revival year, ninety seven. They wanted that back. Listen, try controlling the wind. How do you do it? I only know really one way to even get at that question, and it's Acts one fourteen. They prayed constantly. Do you know a better way? Keep in step with the Spirit. Cooperate with the Spirit. But, but, but how, how, do you, how do you do something like that if you're not praying about it and seeking it? Um, one thing on my mind that burdens me is um, many of our um, prayer warriors that used to meet before church they, they they can't come in before church to pray over the service for whatever reason. Some of them have gone to be with the Lord. What are we doing about that? I don't have a plan this morning, but I kind of I count on those prayers. I have my own prayer time. Worship team has their prayer time. But if if we want to see things happen here that are not normal, supernatural, it's going to be born out of prayer. That, that, that's just it. You're not going to be able to conjure it. I can't write the book. Five easy steps to seeing the Holy Spirit change your church. He's a wind. You try to tell the wind where to blow. See how that works out for you. But I do know this. I do know this. I've been to a lot of concerts in my life. Um, life Fest. Some of you have been to Life Fest, great Christian music festival. And you see the band play up there on the stage, and it's loud. Awesome atmosphere. Got my kids on my shoulders and they're, you know great. It's great. And then they and then the band plays the last song and they leave the stage. They leave. And what does the crowd chant? One more song. One more song. And then they do it over and over, one more song, and they do it for they could do it for five, ten minutes, and they wouldn't leave because they want that one more song, and it's become almost a cliche because every band has to come back out and play that last song. And some bands come out and they play a whole new, a whole other four or five songs, a whole other set. One time I was at Life Fest, and, and the band was truly out of time. It was a total letdown because we kept chanting and they never came out. Ah, oh, you know. But but normally they come back out. All I know is. uh, the desire of the crowd is give me more. And so I say to you, would that be the cry of your heart this year? Give me more. I've often thought of it like this even. I've thought of it like this. i Is it that I get more of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit gets more of me? And I've wrestled with that question. And I've always kind of leaned towards the latter. That the Holy Spirit lives in me. I can't have more. The only way I can have more is as I submit myself to Him and He gets more control of me. I want more of Him. But ultimately, I want Him to have more of me. And that requires submission and prayer, repentance, and a deep longing. For him to show up in my life in many different areas. Do you have that? One more song, one more song. Worship team, would you come up for that one more song? Father, we uh, we want more. This year we want to see the Holy Spirit show up in what we see, what we hear, what we say, the salvations that that occur in this Northwoods area at this church and other gospel-preaching churches, God, would you do it? Would you do it? Would you do a miraculous work amongst us, a supernatural work? And I know there will be the naysayers that say, oh, it's just the crazy people, the crazy Christians in, in Peter's day, the drunks. And yet we will know, that it was your supernatural power that did this. Holy Spirit, do a great work amongst us this year. In Jesus' name, amen.